This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. In 2008, a podcast was created with one goal. To bring Bat fans around the world news related to movies, comics, video games, television, merchandise, and so much more. And now, the Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the TVU Podcast. I'm Dustin. Joining me today is BJ and Nan, and we are going to be talking about... The inspiration behind the Batman. Yes, we are on another episode of talking about the Batman, and uh, this might be the last one unless we come up with a really good topic to discuss next week, Uh, but we have a a bunch of different things to talk about when it comes to the inspirations. There's been a variety of interviews that have been released as well as some comments made at press junkets and things like that by either the, uh, the, the crew like Matt Reeves, uh, who wrote and directed it. There's also some comments from some of the uh, cast, including Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson, about different inspirations they had for their characters or things that they remember reading in preparation for their role in the films. But then there's also a number of films as well that have actually uh, inspired the Batman as well. And And if you've seen some of these films, you'll immediately see the connections when I say them even if you didn't necessarily put it together. Some of these, you're not necessarily going to know. Uh, Some of them are very classic films, but are also older, so they're not as mainstream for the younger audience as something that they would immediately be able to say, yeah, I've definitely seen that. But there are some really good movies here that, if you haven't seen, some good, uh, good ideas of stuff to check out, especially because they are really good classic films that uh, have really good stuff to inspire a great film like The Batman. So we're going off of a list that was uh, originally published on Variety. Uh, The list is 15 movies and comics that inspired the film. Um, We're going to talk about all of these. There's a little bit of overlap with some other uh, comic inspirations, and we're going to probably spend a little bit more time on the comics than we we do on the actual movies themselves. But there's a number of different things. I'm not necessarily covering every single film, because even when you go through the list, there are some of these that you can tell they were included for a very specific reason. For example, the very first one that's mentioned on the list is Good Time, which starred Robert Pattinson, but is not really an inspiration for the film. It just shows what Robert Pattinson is capable of doing in a more serious role where he has kind of a range and that that uh, mentality of like having that dark side of him. That's what you get from this film. But it doesn't really necessarily directly inspire it. So some of these I'm going to skip through, but some we're going to go in a little bit more detail. So the second one on the list is Chinatown. Now, this is a classic film from 1976. It, it uh, stars... 
uh, Jack Nicholson as the main character, and the premise of the film is that it's a very it's a very detective based uh, film where he is investigating a series of crimes that are part of a story that die, dives into the corruption that is infecting Los Angeles. Now, obviously, just that description alone, you can kind of see how that connects to what the Riddler's trying to do with showing Batman the corruption that's in Gotham City. Uh, Matt Reeves, this was one of the films that he mentioned back at DC Fandom as one of the main inspirations for the film when he was talking back in 2020. So this is a unique film. Uh, personally, I've seen this film. It's a really good film, but it is one of those films where while it is a classic for film uh film fans, it's not necessarily going to be something that a lot of people nowadays are going to necessarily gravitate towards. The next film we've got is The French Connection. Now, this is yet another film that uh, deals with some inspiration that uh, that Matt Reeves had mentioned. This is supposed to be a more grounded perspective and the street-level atmosphere that The French Connection is known for that we also see in The Batman. Uh, Matt Reeves wanted to place the viewer in the seedy and raw part of the city just as the French Connection set their story in, which was a 70s street-grounded story. Um, there's a lot of different things that also inspire uh, this as well, including um, taxi drivers kind of in the same vein as this, and I think that pops up on this list in a second here. Um, jumping over to a comic, though, that, uh, that uh, released Batman Ego um, is one that pops up on a number of different lists when they talk about different things that have to do with the film. Uh, specifically, he said that, uh, Matt Reeves said that uh, he used Darwin Cook's Ego as a foundation for exploring Bruce Wayne's complex psyche. Um, this isn't a... I will say, this pops up on a lot of different lists as, as a book to read, but this is not one that is immediately popping up on like top 10 lists of comics to read. It's slightly underrated because it is a shorter story, but it is a very good story. And it's been some time since I've read it, um, and it's not as well known as, like, let's say, Dark Victory and, and uh, Long Halloween, which we'll get to, but... It is a very interesting story that kind of tackles the entire idea of what Bruce Wayne is outside of the cowl. Yeah, so I'm actually reading Ego like now, uh, currently, because I've heard it. I always hear that great things about it, and I heard that's an inspiration for the film. So that's um, so I picked that up recently, and I just started to read it, and I'm just started it, and I can kind of see how it's it delves into more of uh, Bruce Wayne's mind as Batman. I could see how they can kind of for the movie i read that one a while ago is that the one where he um is like dealing with the am i bruce wayne or my batman dichotomy yes yes it is i should go back and read it to be honest but i can see why it's on that list if it's dealing with that absolutely all right so another comic that pops up which is probably the in a lot of ways, the most influential comic is Batman Year Two. And I think this specifically has to do with the fact that Matt Reeves has said that the film is supposed to take place during Year Two of Batman's career. We we open the film and Batman's already established. He already exists within the, the confines of Gotham City. He already has this connection to the police. He's dialed into what's going on. We don't see an origin, which would be Year One. Instead, we see a Batman who is established and year two is very much like that now the difference of course is that year two deals with a different villain it's not riddler and in, there's not a lot of other aspects that carry it over it over to it but 
Uh, Matt Reeves specifically said that he's looking at Gotham as an experiment and he's trying to figure out what he can do to finally change Gotham City. He, you see he's not having any effect on what he wants to have and that's when murders start to happen. The murders begin to describe the history of Gotham in a way that only reinforces what he knows about Gotham and it opens up a whole new world of corruption that went much further. Now that that is very similar to what year two is, where there's a mystery below the surface that you don't know off of just seeing what's right in front of you. And there's that aspect, but more so the established nature of what Batman is in this this universe as it begins takes place during year two. I was glad that we didn't get any uh, type of origin. I know that's a big uh, complaint when it comes to Batman movies about how many times we've seen the Waynes uh, go down in Crime Alley. I did. We're right into it. Kind of like when um, they rebooted Spider-Man for uh, the MCU where we didn't see Uncle Ben die. It's just where he's he's Spider-Man, he's Batman. Let's, uh, let's get down to work. Mm-hmm. I actually enjoy the origin story still, but I like what the... Um what the scene provides like starting years into it versus like right off the bat. I think we mentioned this in like one of the prior podcast episodes where you have um, history that you can reference in the movie and you can't quite do that with an an origin story. So I really liked that. And then is year two, one of the comics where like Alfred is depicted walking with a limp or a cane. That is going to be uh, earth one. Earth One, Batman Earth One. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. We will get to that as well. Um, All right, so the next one, we're going to jump back over to the movies. uh, And the the next one is The Zodiac. Um, This is the 2007 crime saga by David Fincher uh, that focuses on the real-life Zodiac killer. Um, This, the, the entire premise of the Riddler set in the Batman by Matt Reeves is intended to be a version of, or not version, but very much like the Zodiac killer. He is, has no problem making himself well known. He's all about the notoriety that comes with doing these heinous acts that he's doing. He also has absolutely no problem reaching out to the police and kind of gloating about what he's doing. So that's a lot of what we see when it comes to the Riddler in the film. And you can see those direct inspirations for anybody who has seen that film. I've seen, I saw this film years ago when it first came out and I can immediately see the connections, but I've also seen some documentaries, you know, crime drama, uh, cr- crime docs and things like that about serial killers and, in you know, other other things like even Mindhunter that kind of delves into serial killers. And I remember not necessarily Mindhunter, but in some crime documentaries that I've seen them talking about the Zodiac Killer, it is it is it's kind of creepy how much the Riddler comes across like that up until really the end of the film when he comes across as kind of like this cult leader. It's not so much about the Zodiac anymore. It's more about the fact that he really believes he's trying to like change everything for the better. And that's not so much about the Zodiac as it is honestly some other serial killers that exist in the world. All right. The next one that they mention is Batman Shaman. Now this is the 1989, 1990 story Uh, 1990 comic book series, Batman Shaman, that was part of Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, Specifically, Pattinson said that he used this as one of his ways to actually fall in love with the character and said that it's it's almost a dream state the whole time when the, the series is happening. 
it was like, oh, that hasn't really been touched on. There's kind of a mysticism to it. And uh, Batman Shaman, the story goes that Batman finds Bruce Wayne being saved by a shaman after injuring himself in the Alaskan mountains. This is in the days before his tenure as Batman begins. The shaman tells Bruce a myth about how bats learn to fly, which partly inspires Bruce's journey into becoming the Cape Crusader. Um, and then Pattinson said that this is how he, he the myth, mysticism of the comic actually inspired how he moved when he was inside of the bat suit. Um, this is one that I, I I don't think a lot of people put together as as one specifically because one it doesn't necessarily reflect what you see on screen, but the fact that Pattinson actually used this story to kind of like mold his version of Batman and the mannerisms that Batman uses and things like that. It is, it is different because it's not necessarily a story that I think a lot of people would necessarily gravitate towards as one to like base a character off of. Anyhow, um, Pattinson actually talks about like the way he moves in the suit. Cause the way he, we saw Batman like coming out of the shadows, that slow, deliberate walk. It was, it reminded me more of like, uh, he was a gunfighter in like the old west, like a cowboy movie. Just the way he kind of walk, walked out there, but he kind of stopped in their tracks just from him even taking a few steps. All right, uh, another one of the films was All the President's Men. Now, if you've seen this, this film's also back from the seventies. There's a lot of you're starting to see a trend here with a lot of films that were from the 1970s with the French Connection and Chinatown and All the President's Men, and then the next one on this list is also The Godfather. Um, this film specifically, all the president's men deals with, uh, reporters that are looking into an investigation, uh, specifically about the Watergate scandal, uh, with, uh, Richard Nixon. And he's, he mentioned Matt Reeves mentions multiple times that it was really, while it is in fact a story about the press investigating something, it's still at the heart of it, a detective story. And you can see that a lot of the stuff that he pulls from when it comes to films is straight detective. We know that this film was intended to be a detective film. It wasn't necessarily meant to be the over-the-top um, Batman in space kind of Batman or Batman um, kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of just using gadgets and things like that. There was plenty of gadgets and that, but at heart, this is the most detective story I think we've ever seen in live action. And you can see that a lot of the inspiration for Matt Reeves is coming from a lot of these older detective stories that are from the 1970s that clearly Matt Reeves has seen and he grew up on and have kind of like created this mold of what he was looking to do and he's drawn from a lot of those films the the other one the godfather that is also on the list which there's a, there's a couple other ones but the godfather you can see that clearly is tying to the mob elements within gotham city um there is falcone and how falcone runs and obviously penguin works underneath him there's a lot of mob elements within the confines of the batman film and you can kind of see how there's certain elements that kind of draw to what we see in the godfather trilogy of films definitely godfather is the most obvious one with um just strictly falcone just being there that's he was obviously the godfather and penguin was the fredo and the the next in line the next film on the list is Seven, also conveniently another David Fincher film. Um, this one is 
in my opinion, an amazing film. Um, anybody who w- enjoys film and enjoys thriller films should should watch this because it's really great. But you can immediately see the connections to how the Riddler's becoming this character that is, again, leaving clues as to why he's doing what he's doing behind that's very similar to the character, Kevin Spacey's character in Seven, but also kind of like the swerve at the end of instead of I'm not going to give away the the end of the film for those of you who who haven't seen it, but there's a reason why the phrase "What's in the box" exists, and it has to do with that film. And there's a swerve that happens at the end of the film that I don't think anybody who's never seen the film is, expects coming. But at the same time, at the end of the Batman, when we see Falcone being brought out and then he gets shot, I don't know that necessarily anybody was expecting that to be seen either. Um, And when you look at the larger picture of it, it's kind of questionable as to why Riddler thought that somehow killing Falcone was going to change everything. He had clearly a list of people he wanted off the table, including the police commissioner and the mayor and obviously Falcone. But ultimately, as we know and as we've seen in the film, there is always going to be a power vacuum when people of power get taken out. There's going to be a vacuum that's going to bring other people up to fill that void that is left by those people of power that are no longer there. So I'm not exactly sure if Riddler's plan is foolproof in the larger scheme of things over the future, but definitely at the end of the entire Riddler chase, there's definitely a sequence where you can see that he has a plan that he's trying to wash Gotham of all of their sins, I suppose. All right, one of the other comics is Batman Year One. We talked about Year Two, but Year One has some connections as well. And personally, I think the biggest connections to Year One have more to do with Selina Kyle than they do with Batman. What did you guys think? Uh, I would agree. Well, for for the number one, her interaction with um, the girl—I don't remember her name now. Uh, Annika. Was, thank you, the girl that she was worried about when she had. And then when the first moon, the movie had first started and she referenced the girl, her friend or whatever, I remember I leaned to my brother and I was like, oh yeah, the girl from year one, I think in the movie or the comic, I don't remember what her name is, but I don't think it's, um, and then I was like, oh, okay. So it's not like the sister relationship that I was thinking it might've been or that kind of relationship, but rather that they were just friends, but they kind of like supplemented that girl's character with Annika's character and had the same dynamic and the same like um uh thing that got her going if you will and then um her scenes and her whole look reminded me of year one like the the shorter hair and the suit and everything and where she lives and the grimy side of it um kind of i could see that they were like pulling um that inspiration from that comic when she the outfit she wears when she goes to um, kill Falcone was exactly like the outfit that um, she had when we first see her in year one. So that was definitely a big um, year oh. one vibe that I picked up on. I didn't catch that. The black. Yeah. All right. So one of the other big comics that has an influence that I think a lot of people immediately gravitated towards when they were talking about the film, even leading up to it, just from things that were shown in the trailer was Batman The Long Halloween as well as Batman Dark Victory. Now, the story for here has Batman investigating a killer um, who is taking out different members of the mafia or the mob, 
And that's what's happening in Long Halloween. And obviously, as you look at the Batman, you can see the direct connection with Riddler taking out members of not necessarily just the mob, but just people who are corrupt and people in general. So you can see there's not necessarily a direct connection, but a very close connection to the idea that Batman's investigating a killer taking out people. And uh, the only big difference is that he wasn't necessarily taking out people on specific days of the year he was this wasn't the, this wasn't the holiday killer as we see in the uh in long halloween um there is some really good references um but one of the really cool things is that uh, matt reeves actually said that he did a deep dive into comics in general and one of the things that um he remembers is that jeff Loeb, the writer of long halloween wrote the stories and told him years ago when uh, he was at uh, USC that he should become a writer, which just coincidentally is like some weird sort of like serendipity. Jeff Loeb, the writer of Long Halloween, tells a film student at the time to go write a, you know, go write in general. And then he ends up writing and directing a Batman film decades later, which is just crazy. When the, first, when the movie first starts and it opens up and it, like he's narrating the story as it kind of like pans across and stuff, gave me really strong Long Halloween vibes because I had just recently seen like the animated film and just recently reread the comic and um, I, I, again I like leaned to my brother and I was like it's like the Long Halloween and like the narration that kind of like evolved from there and then the, the murders that happened pretty consistently um, definitely gave me strong Halloween vibes as well. Just like you had said, though, without it happening on a particular holiday and without the killer being the holiday killer. Uh, so I think, but the strongest, I think, for me would have been the opening where he's, like, narrating. And personally, I loved that. I loved that they used, like, that narration um, and how all that played out. There's ever a story to um, pick and choose from and adapt, basically. It's Long Halloween. That's, like, one of the best Batman stories of all time. I think that's absolutely that's a good jumping off point absolutely i think the and it's convenient because the long halloween was just adapted into an animated two-part film recently um and perfect timing leading up to the release of this film because i think the long halloween in general was one of the better animated films that dc has put out recently not to say that they don't put out good stuff but it was a really good adaption they changed some things from the original comic but i still think it was a really good adaption in comparison to some of the other adaptions that they've done in the past now um one of the other ones that i wanted to get to was batman uh, earth one that we talked about uh that uh, hanan mentioned earlier Batman Earth 1 has a lot of different influences, and I think part of it has to do with the fact that Jeff Johns wrote Earth 1, and I I truly believe that at the time when Jeff Johns first took on Earth 1, he was truly looking at the property as, how can I adapt and tell a story that could be really good, or could be adapted very well for the, the big screen? And you get a different version of some of the characters for example alfred is a bodyguard and he has he walks with a limp as Hanan mentioned earlier that is something we see here in the film itself there's a lot of other smaller connections with the uh with thomas wayne running for mayor and some other connections to falcone and things like that penguin popping up but it's <clears throat> it's an interesting thing because i i was convinced 
at the time because I, I, if I distinctly remember when Batman Earth One, the first one, came out, it was shortly after or shortly before, I want to say it was like 2016, right when Batman v Superman came out. And there was talk at the time that Ben Affleck was going to be writing the Batman solo film after Justice League alongside Jeff Johns because Jeff Johns was like dialed in as one of the main producers for the DC films. And at the time, it made sense that he would go and write a Batman story that could easily be adapted for film with, you know, just even if you just took elements of it, you know, something that was different than the version of Batman we always see. And I think that's what happened. Obviously, Matt Reeves read the story that Ben Affleck came up with, but the problem was that that Batman was already established in that universe and he was looking to do something completely different a newer Batman, not the same Batman that Ben Affleck was doing. So when the opportunity arose and he ended up taking over, I think there still was elements from some of the stuff that Jeff Johns had created with Batman Earth One that kind of ended up in the film. And one of the big things is Alfred. Alfred is extremely different than the Alfred we typically see in not only live action and animation, but the majority of the comic books that have released. This is a very different Alfred, but it does appear as if it's the Alfred from Earth One. All three volumes of Earth One could play out as um could be adapted into animation or live action, like that could be a trilogy into of itself, but definitely Alfred's the most different from Earth One to our regular Alfred, where I don't know if Earth One Alfred even has a mustache like our regular continuity Alfred, but in the Andy Serkis offered teaching Bruce how to fight similar to Earth One, where he picked up all of his, um, his Bruce Jitsu, as we read in the um, before the Batman novel. But um, yeah, I wonder, and Alfred gets a lot of play in the Earth One movie, in Earth One comics, but in the movie, Alfred kind of got shortchanged, so hoping that Alfred gets more of a more time in the uh, next movie. All right, and our final comic that we're going to talk about is probably probably best known, at least amongst TBU listeners, longtime TBU listeners, as my favorite comic series. And it's also the comic series that brought me into the majority of Batman comics, which is Batman No Man's Land. This story came out in the late 90s, but part of the reason why it was so influential for my journey when it comes to Batman is the fact that when it released, it was touching almost every single Batman book at the time. There were so many different types of Batman books. There was uh, Batman Detective Comics, as usual, but there was also Shadow of the Bat, Legends of the Dark Knight. There was a Robin series. There was a uh, Birds of Prey series. All of these books are touching what's happening in the pages of... Uh, all the the event that is is touching all of these different titles, and then you have special one shots and things like that. And honestly, there's been plenty of events that have happened since then. But I was getting into comics at the time, and at the time that I was getting into comics, the entire like the first couple of volumes of trades have been had been released for this, and that's what got me really invested into like seeing these massive, ginormous stories that focus on so many different characters, but also involve so many different creators at the same exact time. Now, the vast majority of stuff was written by Chuck Dixon, and Denny O'Neill was the editor on the books at the time for the Bat books, and he was leading up you know, this massive crossover that extended over multiple different series. 
But when you look at that series, and or you look at the story arc, and you see how it plays out, it is very similar to the way the film ends. Um, I don't know that a lot of people could deny the fact that at the end of the Batman, you see Batman that or you see Gotham City that has been not necessarily destroyed completely, but it's it's underwater. There's an issue. They had the seawall break, and the city's underwater, and they're kind of at a disadvantage. And at the end of the film, Batman's saying that the National Guard's coming in to kind of help out. The mayor's talking about how they're going to rebuild. And you know that there's going to be issues within Gotham City with different areas of the city being cut off from other parts of the city. At No Man's Land, this happens, but a much larger version of of this, because instead of just one of the islands within Gotham City, all three islands experience a cataclysm of an earthquake, and it kind of splits the entire city off from everything else. The government actually blows the bridges, cordons off the entire city, and makes it and declares it that it's a no man's land and nobody can go in or out. So this presents a problem for everybody who's stuck still in Gotham City, and it presents a problem for everybody. Well, every all the villains take advantage of that opportunity by setting up unique areas within No Man's Land that is their like own specific land. And as the Bat Family and the GCPD slowly try to take back the territories and maintain law and order within the confines of this No Man's Land, you see something play out that is honestly, in my opinion, hasn't really been done to that length um, or to that degree in a very long time. Um, there's been plenty of crossovers that involve other stories and things like that, but nothing to the lengths of including so many different series as this one does. So this one, there's a direct connection at the end of the film. It sets up the fact that No Man's Land is kind of kind of happening. It sets up the idea that there's going to be different areas within Gotham City that are potentially going to be you know, taken over by certain factions or Penguin, for example, is is eyeing part of the city. And there's other characters that are going to obviously fill that that uh, that void that is taking place within Gotham City. So, No Man's Land, by far one of my favorite comic stories, but also one that's doing a great job of uh, being in, an inspiration for the film and also seeing it play out. It feels like it's a possibility that it could inspire the next film as well. Yeah, no Man's Land is a classic, just the whole tie-ins and everything. I wonder if um, one of my favorite parts of No Man's Land was how the different villains kind of set up their own territories where this was the Two-Face part, the Penguin part, and so on and so forth. I wonder if maybe in the next movie we could get a time jump where there's already villains who have popped up and who have taken over little maybe certain parts of Gotham that Batman and the GCPD have to kind of take back just to something along those lines. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that <clears throat> it would be an interesting way of doing it. Also, I mean, I'm, I'm all for introducing characters for the sake of introducing characters without them necessarily having to have a huge major role, but that would be a one way to do it. The other way, which has kind of been hinted at in the past, but never really plays out the way anybody ever expects it to is when they're walking through Arkham Asylum and you see like the name plates and they might hint at somebody who's in a cell but they don't really ever show it but no man's land allows you to do that where batman could just take out some villains very quickly you know a variety of different characters that are there so 
That is the inspiration. So that's going to wrap up this episode of the TBU podcast. I want to encourage everybody to head over to the website for all kinds of news related to movies, merchandise, video games, comics, everything else related to the Bat fandom. You can find us on all kinds of social channels, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We're over on Discord. You can find all of our social links at the top of the page over on our website. You can also send us an email at tbu at thebatmuniverse.net. We'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on the movie itself, either by using Discord, leaving a comment, or sending us an email. That is always greatly appreciated and helps us uh, have other topics. If you do have a topic that you'd like us to discuss in relation to the film or anything else for that matter, be sure to let us know by getting in touch with us. Outside of that, I do want to encourage you, if you are interested in supporting us on Patreon, uh, They, the, if you do, there is the ability to get early episodes released to you uncut. Uh, shortly after we record these, we do release uncut, unedited versions of these podcasts to our Patreon supporters, so you can find links to that over on the site as well. And finally, the last thing I want to mention is if anybody out there is interested in suddenly has a resurgence of bat fandom and would like to share it with anybody else uh we at tbu are always looking to recruit people to review comics uh write editorials um all kinds of different stuff uh everybody here writes different types of content for the site and it's a variety of different opportunities for you guys to come on board and help us out with so if you have any interest be sure to get in touch with us via email tbu at the net. With all of that being said, for BJ Hanan and myself, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you guys next time.